Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Now is a good time for thinking about your savings and investments. It's the middle of the year, and we've learned much from the pandemic-impacted economy and its path to recovery. This recovery path is fraught with new risks, as we most assuredly won't return to the 2019 scenario we left. Okay, so what are the largest risks that we need to mitigate? Let's set the context for today by asking a key question. What are the major risks that will impact my savings and investments? We made it to the middle of the year with the stock market at new highs, bond market staying strong, and the jobs market recovering. Now what? Do a mid-year review of all your savings, investments, and retirement fund assets. Seriously consider how much time you have to recover from the next financial downturn. We've spent much time in prior podcasts on the risks, so today will only be a top-line summary. We all should totally expect major stock and bond market sell-off that will drop prices 20% or more and possibly much more. Why? Because bull markets always, yes, always turn into bear markets. That's our 245-year history we celebrated days ago as a country, whether we're at war, at peace, in recession, depression, or recovery. The jobs market has pretty much recovered, but there's a lot of economic damage and healing ahead. But don't get giddy, as many jobs have not and are not coming back. The numbers of people giving up looking for jobs continues to grow as more and more former workers are kept afloat by various government entitlement programs. We now have a barbell-shaped workforce again, just as we had pre-pandemic. Lower-income renters will again fight to earn enough to subsist, I might say with rent increases coming right around the corner pretty quickly while the higher education so-called white-collar workers will continue to earn more and more. Meanwhile, the investors with substantial savings will be in the usual great position to take advantage of higher inflation and higher interest rates. Let's summarize the foundations of the above observations and predictions. Most importantly, the U.S. government Treasury bill, Treasury notes, and Treasury bonds provide near zero or even negative real returns. With an official inflation rate of 3%, the investors earn 1.5% on their 10-year bonds and actually lose at least 1.5% per year in purchasing power. Stocks promise high risk and low future returns as stocks are trading at historically high valuation. Let me repeat that. Stocks promise high risk and low future returns. Stocks always reverse direction and result in substantial losses for individual investors when they do. We could be facing, ahead of us, a lost decade, and most investors just are not prepared for it. Sadly, there is much investors could do about it, but they don't accept the up-and-down multi-year cycles in the markets. For example, those trying to save for a child's future college education could be substantially better off exploring advanced 
payment programs to a university instead of putting money aside in the form of investments, which don't keep up with inflation. Higher education costs consistently go up faster than overall inflation. So why invest in stocks or bonds that don't even keep up? Additionally, for anyone who has significant debts, including a mortgage, you should look for refinancing debt at a low fixed rate for the next 10, 20, or 30 years. It's better to have little or no debt, but most of us, most, have a lot of debt. Refinance it and pay it off with the future inflated dollars. Take advantage of inflation. That's exactly what your federal government does. Overall, a big risk is that most asset classes are today priced for near zero or negative returns going forward. As mentioned, the 10-year treasury yields 1.5%. Remove taxes and you're left with a negative real return. Long-term corporate bonds are not much better. They pay a 3% yield on the average, but also expose you to credit losses in a highly leveraged world of debt. Once again, remove taxes, inflation, and credit losses, and you're left with near zero or negative returns. Could stocks then be the solution? Unfortunately, no. With interest rates at such low levels, most investors have had the same idea of moving into stocks in hopes of better returns. The issue here is that with more and more capital chasing a limited number of stocks, stock prices have gone parabolic with 20% plus annual returns over the past years, resulting in valuation multiples rarely seen before. The Standard & Poor's 500 is now priced at 45 times earnings, which is more than three times its historical average of 15 times. You really should consider that the Standard & Poor's 500 has never been able to sustain such a high multiple for very long. Eventually, it always comes back down to earth, leading to near zero or negative returns in future years. Don't mistake these observations for pessimism, as I'm one of the most optimistic on America this July 4th. Many legendary investors have shown similar concerns about the current state of the stock and bond markets. Warren Buffett has famously said that you should never bet against America. However, he has also admitted that interest rates are to stocks what gravity is to physical matter, meaning that even a small change in interest rates can cause stock valuations to crash. Coincidentally, Fed Chairman Jay Powell just recently signaled that two rate hikes may occur in the coming one to two years. Ray Dalio, manager of the world's largest hedge fund, is less optimistic. He fears that we could be facing a lost decade with zero returns over the coming 10 years. He points out that corporate debt is excessively high even as profit margins are set to shrink due to a permanent deterioration in the U.S.-China relationship that will push companies more and more to bring back portions of their supply chain to the U.S. Most of us understand that China trade has done much to reduce product prices in the U.S. over the past decade plus. Some of this cost reduction will be undone pretty quickly. Jeremy Grantham, who manages over $100 billion for investors, goes a step further 
stating that the current bull market in stocks and bonds that started in 2009 is an epic bubble, featuring exploding price increases, extreme overvaluation, and historically speculative investor behavior. He thinks that this event that we're in now will be recorded as one of the great bubbles, right along with the dot-com bubble of 2000. Finally, Michael Burry, who famously made his fortune predicting the housing crash, has recently issued a series of tweets warning us of a mother of all crashes. He believes that the Main Street losses will approach the size of countries and that hyperinflation may be coming. As a sign of the social media times, these tweets have been deleted. <laughs> With all that in mind, it appears increasingly likely that we would be facing a lost decade with near zero returns over the coming 10 years. Public and private debt has risen to new highs in the COVID period. It's interesting we hear the drumbeat of record stock prices throughout the news media, but virtually no one reports on the record debt levels. We know that inflation moves up after a lot of money printing. At least at this point, we know we're gaining traction on inflation, and the public media is even reporting that. Profit margins may be on a multi-year downtrend as the U.S. rebuilds supply chains, minimizing imports from China. This may be a big, under-discussed influence on future inflation, as well as business earnings. And as we rebuild our supply chains in the United States, lower earnings forecasts will come with them. And with lower earnings forecasts will come lower stock prices over time. Interest rates are expected to be hiked by the Fed, as mentioned. Additionally, long-term interest rates will increase as inflation expectations increase. Always remember that increasing interest rates automatically means lower bond prices, and many will suffer on their monthly investment statements as their bond values go down. Lost decades in U.S. history are actually quite common, but we've not had one in a while. They typically occur after periods of abnormally high returns and elevated valuations, which is precisely where we are today. For those of you who have history in mind, the dot-com bust overall took 10 years to get back to break-even from 2000 to about 2010. Prior to that, during the 1974 to 1985 period, 11 years were required to get the stock market back where it was when that period was entered. If we even go back into the 60s, nine years were required. And you can go back further than that. Probably the longest is at the beginning of the century where the stock sold off. And this was before the Great Depression, but it took 19 years for them to come back to where they were. And during the Great Depression, speaking of that, 13 years to get back to where they were before they declined. So it's not a wonderful situation to live through a decline with your portfolio, not anticipating a decline and looking forward for another decade to come back to break even. So in my view, that's a major risk today. And the losses have not been impacting us today, but that's totally what I expect. And that's totally what some of the experts I quoted expect. So fair warning. You likely cannot afford to lose 10 years of returns, and I sure don't want to. There are a lot of different opinions on what's the right solution, but most people appear to agree on one thing. 
the traditional 60%, 40% stock to bond portfolio is dead and needs to evolve. Most of you have heard this from parents, instructors, you've read it. Traditionally, a portfolio for investment is 60% stock, 40% bonds. That's what is going to need to change to offer protection, in my view. You likely don't want to invest 40% of your portfolio in near zero yielding bonds that don't offer inflation protection. Let's start there. And it probably isn't reasonable to put 60% of your portfolio into stocks after their epic winning streak that pushed valuations to exceptionally high levels. So if not bonds or stocks, what then? That should be the question you should ask. Some do increase cash levels, hoping for a crash to pick up stocks at lower valuations. That's a strategy. Others have moved from stocks into cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, expecting the rising adoption to lead to market-beating returns. As we've discussed in recent podcasts, crypto should not be considered an investment class. It will, in the long term, serve as a quick and secure payment mechanism. But today, crypto offers internet gambling opportunities for those who don't want to travel to Las Vegas. Don't look at crypto as an investment, and that's another fair warning. Kathy Woods, who I mentioned in a prior podcast from ARK Invest, believes that highly innovative tech stocks will keep delivering market-beating returns for years to come. That's a consideration for a future portfolio. Several large money managers are proponents of real assets and infrastructure-related stocks. That's another component to think about. I don't think there's one correct approach. The point here is that alternative classes are growing in importance, and you don't want to ignore this asset class. For the more knowledgeable and experienced investors, I expect a significant capital shift from stocks and bonds into alternative asset classes over the coming decade. The typical portfolio allocation of alternative investments, such as real estate, could go from 25% today to over 60% over the decade. This shift, if it occurs, would be massive, representing tens of trillions of dollars of capital. The key here is to position yourself in these asset classes before these trillions rush into these alternative categories as that rush will likely push valuations to new highs. My fear is that a lot of investors will miss this megatrend, remain heavily invested in traditional financial assets, and will suffer the consequences. Today, more than ever, you want your portfolio to be well diversified with a large allocation of alternative assets. Coming from a global business and finance background, I feel the most comfortable investing in such asset categories as real estate, and particularly real estate investment trusts, publicly traded vehicles. I would, as I've mentioned before, avoid the very largest cities for real estate investments and focus on REITs that own apartment complexes, grocery store anchored strip malls, cell towers, healthcare facilities, e-commerce warehousing, and technology centers. Additionally, I would consider exchange-traded funds, ETFs, that focus on energy distribution, like oil and gas pipelines, and basic commodity mining companies, copper, nickel, and so forth that I've mentioned before. Adding to those alternatives, exchange-traded funds that focus on the food chain, 
on agriculture, food processing, packaging, food distribution. Overall, real assets offer many advantages in today's market. Most importantly, they offer positive yields in a yieldless world, inflation protection in a money printing world, and good value in an expensively priced stock market. Publicly listed REITs are still barely recovering from the COVID crash and their past five-year returns have been well below average and rather disappointing. So, so far in 2021, U.S. REITs and commodities stand out as performance leaders. I expect that to continue and pick up momentum, actually. As a result, their valuation multiples have not yet been pushed to the new highs of regular stocks, and they continue to offer attractive potential in today's expensive market. As the capital shift towards alternatives, I expect REITs, among others, to benefit and reprice at significantly higher values. One easy way to profit would be to buy real estate asset-specific exchange-traded funds. And just as an example, the Vanguard Real Estate Exchange-Traded Fund, the symbol V V is in Victor and Nancy, Q is in Quest, ENQ. There are many exchange-traded funds, and it doesn't take long to really get up to speed about what their investments are and where they are and their track records. Alternatively, you could cherry-pick individual REITs, master limited partnerships, and other publicly traded real estate asset companies and build your own portfolio. To be clear, I'm not predicting a crash. I'm not telling you to get out of the market. I do strongly believe that time in the market is much more important than timing the market. My only suggestion for you is to seek diversification beyond regular stocks and bonds. Times have changed. And while the 60-40 stock to bond ratio may have worked well in the past, it may lead to catastrophic results in the future. Be well, be safe, and be vigilant. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin, this podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.